One of the great things about this pandemic was telemedicine. Thanks to technology, doctors and patients could still meet, they could still have their questions answered, and a lot of patients could still get treated without the risk of being in germ-filled waiting rooms. It's a great new technology that, frankly, I think is going to change the future of medicine. There's some benefits of it. There's some things you need to know to be able to use it to its best advantage and to be prepared for your appointment. What do you need to know? I'm talking to a leading cardiologist who's been practicing it for the last several months and has a lot of answers for you. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review us and share, please, because we want more people listening and more people healthy. Hi, Facebook Live. I'm so glad that you're here today on Thursday afternoon. I've got, I'm very excited today. Actually, we're not talking too much about COVID. This has been all about COVID and survival and the stresses and the treatments and the vaccines. But today, actually, there's been a good thing that's come out of the pandemic and the quarantine, which is the whole concept of telemedicine. It was something that was starting, but now obviously nobody could go out and nobody could see their doctors. And this is a really exciting opportunity that has come up is telemedicine. So today we're gonna talk about telemedicine, what you need to know about it, what's great about it, what it's capable of, what you need to hold yourself back on, what isn't quite great and effective just yet. And I've got one of my best friends, Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, leading cardiologist, Um, who's actually been doing telemedicine for the last three months. She's been very active on it. Um, And in fact, she's going to go, she's just coming back this week to go back in the office. So now it's going to become kind of a little bit of a hybrid. So I'm really excited to talk to her. So let me tell you who she is, this wonderful woman that's sitting there smiling. Um, All right, Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, she is one of the top uh, cardiologists in New York in the country. She's been named uh, New York Times Super Doctor, New York Magazine's prestigious Best Doctors in New York. She's a multi-year recipient of the prestigious Castle and Connolly Top Doctor for Cardiovascular Disease. Um, she's worked for decades in the leading hospitals in New York at Lenox Hill and Mount Sinai. And now she has just started her own heart center, the SRS Heart Center for Women's Prevention, Health, and Wellness. And of course, she couldn't just do it in one place. She had to do it in two. So she had to do it in New York and California because why do one when you can do two, right? So Susan, and you go, oh wait, before I say that, you can... Uh, learn more about Dr. Steinbaum and her important work at srsheart.com. Um, Suzanne, thank you. You have so you have so much going on, and yet you manage to always say yes and come visit. So thank you so much. Always. You know that. Always. Well, thank you. <laughs> and yes. All right. So let's start with. Tell me about life and your practice for the last three months, because you uh, you suddenly the world changed. Well, my world changed before the whole world changed because I, after 18 years being in the hospital system and having a, having a practice part of a hospital, I decided to venture out on my own and start my own program, my own center, and really become my own business person, which is very different than when uh-huh. you go to work at a hospital. Yeah. And I opened my doors January 6th. It was a very bumpy start and we really started coasting and getting into the groove of things um, the beginning of March. And then March 13th came and you know, that whole week, I think all of us were like hearing what was happening and what was going on. And the timing of it was interesting because the following week was my son's spring break. So I had planned an intentional week off from work. 
And on March 13th, I was kind of like, okay, well, I'm taking next week off and I'll see you guys in two weeks. And on March 16th, the entire city closed down. Right. And we basically found out that two patients tested positive for COVID-19. And we thought, okay, we got to shut down. We have to be responsible. Right. And we had someone come in, disinfect the office, and close down our doors. So I was open for two and a half months before shutting down and have not been back. I took my son and went out to New Jersey where my parents are and I have been doing telemedicine from their basement. (laughs) You are in the cave of New Jersey. (laughs) Which has been really interesting. Um, But at least we've had that and had the opportunity and the ability to connect even on telemedicine because we couldn't do it in person. So how did you like, so, so how has it gone for you? How's it been for you and how's it been for the patients? Well, I think the first thing that happened, you know, it, it's so interesting because we kind of could collectively feel how everyone was feeling in the country. In the beginning, everyone was kind of excited about it. Right. Oh, wow, we get to talk. And then all of a sudden, nobody wanted to talk. And I think as, as we all collectively started getting maybe a little more anxious or depressed, Nobody wanted to talk. And then the following week, everybody wanted to talk again. And are I kept. Talking, are you talking your peers or are you talking your patients? That the patients. patients were, so they I went didn't. underground. So they went underground at one point and then they came back. They didn't have and issues. They didn't have heart issues. They didn't have concerns. They didn't have. Absolutely. And I think there was like one or two weeks during this period where people got so fearful and so anxious that instead of reaching out for help, sometimes what people do is they withdraw. And I had a lot of that. But during that time, I had a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls. And what I really tried to do is said, let's see each other, let's talk. And instead of those emails, the following week, we started reconnecting again face-to-face. I think the face-to-face connection is really important. And one of the things that I used to do is, you know, get on the phone. Someone would call and say, quick question, get on the phone. I have learned that if you actually talk to someone face-to-face, there's more communication. There's not a quick question that you actually get to talk. When you're on the phone, it's like, I have one question about medication. Sure, what is it? All right, got it? Do you get it? And I'll hang up. And now I would say, tell me your question. And then we could have a follow-up discussion. The other piece of it, with these phone calls, they were squeezed in in between patients. Mm -hmm. And with telemedicine, here's your time with me. It's blocked off. There's no one else but you because I am now staring at you. There's no phones ringing. There's nobody else in the other room that's waiting for me. There There is no assistant calling. There's nobody I have to run to. Labs aren't coming in. It's just <laughs> you and me. Which and this is the only time that's ever happened. You know, I've heard a couple people that had telemedicine appointments and they had the exact same experience that the doctor was so focused on them and so yeah. looking in the no distractions and a far more relaxed conversation as well. Again, yeah. just more informal because again, there wasn't the stresses and the strains of 
someone pulling you out, you having to rush up the hall, et cetera, right. et cetera. Right. Um, so, and are you finding, I'll call it in a 15 minute phone call that you actually get 15 minutes of attention versus in a 15 minute office visit that you get, I'm making it up seven minutes of attention because of all the fraction and distraction. I think that's true. I mean, I, what I chose to do is block off 30 minutes for everyone. And so not only was I getting to talk to them, I went back to their old records and reviewed their old records with them. And mm. we went through everything together because we had the chance to. Right. And before I see a patient, I might go through the notes and the testing and everything that was done. So when I see them, I'm prepared in my mind. But it's not often that we'll go through everything together. Right. And so there was something that was I really liked about it. I can tell you that at the end of the day, forgive me for saying this, I could not wait to get off my butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, we all can't wait. This, this is like rubber bands. Oh, that was the hardest part. Um, so besides that, I really think that I kept losing my voice. That was the other thing. Just talking, talking, a lot of talking, but a lot of really focused, directed conversation. In my world in cardiology, we use testing so often to diagnose things, mm -hmm. whether it's an EKG, an echocardiogram, blood test looking for cholesterol or sugars. And that was the one part of this that I really was struggling with. I was just going to ask you about that because, you know, a follow-up conversation, how's the new med doing? Right. That easy. easy. But if somebody's got some new symptom and you want to test, now what? So I'll tell you what I did. I, I partnered with multiple different companies. One of them was a, an event monitor that I sent everyone this monitor so I can watch their heart rate in real time. It mm -hmm. just got downloaded to me every single day. First right. thing in the morning, I would go and look on the monitors to, right. to see everyone's EKGs. Right. So I had a solution. Right. I partnered with another company that sent everyone uh, blood pressure monitors, right. scales, pulse oxes, because I had patients who were short of breath. We'd, we right. didn't know that's what one it was. That's one of the leading symptoms potentially for COVID. Exactly. Right. And so we sent out all of that equipment. And then I had another platform that I would go on after the monitors right. and see everyone's blood pressure and everyone's weights. So I did the best I could to get the information I needed to help in making decisions and about medications or to help make more treatment decisions. The one problem we had was blood testing mm -hmm. and that I knew that I was going to open up around July. It wasn't that long. Right. Um, we were closed March 13th. So a lot of my patients have blood tests every three to four months. I would say, hang in there. Those that were a little later, I didn't make medication changes, you know, just really deliberate conscious decisions. I was saying to my patients, let's pretend we're in the woods and we have nothing. <laughs> and that's right. what we're going to do. Which you kind of had to. Which is now, but now as you open up again, so and I, there's, which is amazing, like kudos to you for building those relationships and finding those companies to partner with, to be able to get the equipment out to your patients. Now, yeah. ongoing, I mean, there's a lot of, there's, New technologies. My husband has a blood pressure thing that hooks up to his iPhone. And I know they have yeah. the EKG finger things. Like, is this something long-term? You're going back into the office, but will you keep 
telemedicine conversations as part of your practice? A hundred percent. So I purchased a lot of the um, equipment that attaches to your phone that I can get EKGs. I am going to have my patients take them um, when they leave the office because I think that what we've learned is that sometimes patients don't need to come into the office. And some of my elderly patients who really have been in quarantine, they have locked down during this time. They're not ready to come out. Right. A lot of them. Um, That being said, my office is probably going to be the safest place to be in the country. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of steps put in place to make sure that we're all safe, patients, staff, and everyone else. Yes. Um, From transportation to disinfecting to, I mean, everything. So we are not seeing as many patients per day. You're not going to see someone in the waiting room, things like that. You know, it's really very conscious and deliberate how we're going to go forward. But that being said, there are people who don't want to come out. They're taking care of elderly parents. Um, They're at high risk themselves. We are having blood draw days that are safer for them. You know, just really trying to figure it out. Well, this actually will work well with you too in terms of scheduling because you, you want to keep your patients apart in the, in the um, waiting room so you can alternate you know, inpatient, phone patient, inpatient, phone patient. I have my testing room patient and my exam room patient, and then I have my telemed patients, and they're mixed out throughout the day. Now, how did they do with technology? I know that you know, corporately, we've had a great array of people because... I mean, I don't know, 15 years ago, if this happened during the bird flu epidemic 10 years ago, we all would have all been out of business because of the technology didn't exist. So, I mean, it's been amazing to see how well our company was able to keep going and how well everybody's been able to communicate. But there's definitely a spectrum of, you know, I got this nailed to, wait, where am I supposed to click again? So how's it been, especially when you've got some older patients to in, in terms of their ability to handle the technology? So I also found a platform specifically for telemedicine that I send an invitation. Hello, we have an appointment and I can't wait to see you and press here, you know, and- and like it was the jitterbug very, of telemedicine. Yes, yes. Right. And um, if we had problems and sometimes we did, I have a great support staff my office staff's at home working, I would text my, uh, my assistant and say, can you call the patient? And a lot of times, either I could see them, but we couldn't hear each other. So I'd say, can you hear me? They'd say, no. Right. And my assistant was calling them. When we couldn't figure it out, sometimes we called on the phone, but we could see each other, but we talked on the phone. We always figured out some way to connect. Right. So but I had people, I had other people to help me. It wasn't just me doing it. Yeah, but and it definitely, you know, it, it's such a great thing, but yes, you're going to have to have some level of technology. I know we have customers who say, I just don't have a computer. I just don't have a smartphone, which is a shame. And yeah. I don't know if they're going to have, remember they, for a while they brought in like those little, just, just like email appliances, like them down computers right. that just serve a simple purpose. Right. And I'm wondering if that's going to come in for this, because again, the benefits of being able to be home, especially people that can't get out, don't want to get germs, et cetera, in 
you know, cardiologist room or any other doctor's office that they're going to. I mean, especially when you go to your internist and you got coughing, hacking, whatever germs flying around that you don't want to be exposed to. I think there's definitely going to be some sort of shift in that. I know that some of the hospitals didn't actually, you couldn't access their telemed on computers. You can only do it from an iPhone or a tablet. Right. And it was through an app. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't through a link, but right. you have to go to the app. I mean, quite frankly, there's so many different things that came up during this time that when everyone gets to take a breath, we'll see what rises to the top as being the easiest. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting and exciting. Um, they Are we able to hook in with electronic health records or those you have to go the different yes. way? So I have my iPad, which has been my new EMR. The great thing is that I actually was able to, if if I had not left the hospital, I'd be in a different situation. I would have been able to access it, I think, but it wouldn't have been nearly as easy. But I have an iPad that all of my medical records are on. Right. And so I was able to access it. So it's really, I mean, it's just phenomenal that like, this really is going to be a transformative thing, I think, for everybody, as you said, for the doctors and the patients. So did you talk to other um, medical friends through this in terms of how they were doing it and in other non-cardiology practices? Because what about yeah. an OBGYN or, you know, an internist and stuff? So what are they all saying? So the most interesting people, I think, that found out how useful this was, was actually a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Mm. Um, And one of my friends just gave up her office. She said, she's going to do this from now on forever. Why should she pay rent? It worked out. I, I like being with people. Mm -hmm. I like looking at them. You can see so much Mm -hmm. when you look in someone's eyes and they're in front of you, if they're feeling well, if they're not feeling well, I like watching how people walk. Yes. You know, there's you so can much feel them. When yeah, there's, feel them. yeah, yeah, and but there's so much you can get um, from the clinical aspect of things just from being in a room with someone. How they breathe, I could I could look at their neck and see if their pressures are high. Right. Do you know what I mean? Just right. things like that on physical exam. But I think that so the psychologist, psychiatrist, they did better. I spoke to an endocrinologist who a lot of her practice is based on blood work. Mm-hmm. So it became a little dicey in the beginning. And then she was sending patients to a lab right. and, and working with people like that. Um, it, it got a little harder with people who had pacemakers and electrophysiologists and atrial fibrillation. Mm-hmm. These are procedures that people needed and getting them into the hospital in the beginning was very, very challenging. And how do we get cardiac patients who are scared to go to the hospital because of COVID-19, right. how do we get them to go? Right. And that was, that's been a huge challenge throughout this whole time. If you have chest pain, you think you're having a heart attack, it's better to go to the hospital than stay home. And is that, now is that all easing off people? If you can go to the hospital now for things other than COVID, yes. You could always go to the hospital yeah. for things other than COVID. Right. People were afraid to, Right. and things definitely have lightened up. But what we saw during this time is that people were not going to the hospital. Right. So my biggest concern is not just the deaths that we're aware of from COVID-19, mm-hmm. but the deaths that we're not aware of that happened because people didn't leave their homes and they suffered from a heart attack or a stroke right. and died at home. Well, they were aware of those deaths aren't counted anywhere? No. They just weren't 
they're not, they weren't counted as a COVID-19 death. Although I should I, not because it wasn't. I mean, it's, there's a lot well, of death that occurred due to COVID-19, but not right. because of COVID-19. And I think that we need to look at that data. We don't have it yet. Right. Gotcha. So um, what's, I mean, we're kind of talking about this, but just, I want to kind of just drill down a list for people. So in terms of the best things that people can use it for, follow-up conversations, medication follow-ups, like what are the, the categories for them to think about for this? And then I we'll talk about what, what won't work so well. I think it's really helpful if you have questions about, like you said, your medication. Mm -hmm. If you have questions about your diet, what you're eating, how you're exercising, like these real informational things. Or one of the things that kept happening is I read this, I read that about COVID-19. Am I at risk? What do I do about, I had so many patients who actually had it who we took care of at home. I had a lot of patients who were caring for other people. So this time was very unique to that. Um, I think that when it comes down to informational issues, it's great. I think it was also very helpful for patients who had tests done before, and we just sat down and were able to go through all the test results without having anyone right, interrupt right. us. And right. you know, we really had the time to do that. So I think for that, it's perfect. If you have symptoms that are a change, especially in my world, chest pain, shortness of breath, palpitations, dizziness, passing out, this is not about telemedicine. <laughs> you know, this is really not what it's right. for. And it didn't happen at all during this time that people really we're, we're doing that. But I will tell you, everyone became a self-advocate. Everyone started checking their blood pressures. Mm -hmm. I was on the phone with people or telemed every two weeks because we did change medication, but I did it knowing that they were going to check their blood pressures. And you were going to have a follow-up call. And I was going to have a follow-up. And that worked great. Did you have better? A lot of the times, there's, it's hard to get patients to actually do the follow-up. Like, were you able to get, have better compliance in this case because you scheduled that call? Everyone did a follow-up. Yeah. Versus like, oh, I can't get into the office. I can't get into New York, whatever it is. Well, so I also have to tell compliance. you, right. people weren't as busy. So they were kind of excited to talk. <laughs> and, you know, I have to say that was right. one of the, the funnest right. things, if, I'm, if I can use that word, although I I'm not sure. Funnest. Sure. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, here was this new technology and I would be waiting and all of a sudden I'd press my link right. and there they'd be and we'd right. both say, hi, right. it worked, how are you? You know, there was this instant moment of excitement right. that in fact the technology did work and some of my patients who were so busy and so structured and it was so difficult to get into the office because of that, made time, they were so relaxed and they were looking forward to us connecting. Right. Nice. So I just have to say that I think one of the best benefits of this long-term from a patient point of view is that your 15-minute conversation takes 15 minutes versus get to the doctor's office, sit in the waiting room for an extended period of time, get mad, get frustrated, whatever, then go into the, the um, patient room, you know, go in the back, the examining room, wait there for a while, and then do it all on the way back out. So, you know, a 15-minute doctor's visit for a patient can take an hour, an hour and a half, depending on where you're coming from. 
Right. So that to me, for a, from a patient point of view, is incredible. You know what's so interesting, just thinking about this also? A lot of times when I get held up and delayed, it's because a patient needs more time from me. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody needs more time, then I'll be late for the next person and yes. it becomes an additive issue. Mm -hmm. There was not one person that needed more time. Because you, you satisfied them because it, it was a good connection. And because it was so focused. Right. And yeah. I think that it's not, you know, you have multiple patients scheduled. And again, I separated my patients in 30 minutes. Right. And I knew for some patients that had multiple tests, I gave them an hour. Right. Because I wasn't as busy. Right. Yeah. And so it's not that they weren't as busy. I didn't have right. 18 telemedicine. And I don't have that. I, I don't have that at work either. And I actually have enjoyed that in private practice as well. I have not done that. So we don't have that situation. But often if you work for a hospital, they give you 15 minutes and that's it. Yeah. There's, there's stack of patients there that you've got to get through. And that wasn't the case. And it was really enjoyable for both of us, I think. Yeah, yeah. well, which is so unique. And again, you having your practice, you'll be able to manage it how you want. I want you know for people to understand though that benefits if you're going to a hospital practice whatever it is that there seems to be this great relaxation that the doctors are at a different level of ease which is phenomenal yeah um, now patients though still need to be prepared for these conversations like have all your notes have all your questions have whatever you know materials you need ready for the doctor especially if they're going to use a telemedicine service like you know there, there are a lot of these services or your insurance companies our insurance company has a telemedicine service so you don't necessarily know who you're talking to when you're when you're calling if it's just an inquiry like my kid stubbed its toe or fell down you know whatever some stomach ache or something you want just kind of a quick thought about do i have to come in or not um patients need to be more prepared for those yeah yes yeah so i had this situation myself that i wasn't aware that one of the physicians from a hospital used an app i thought they would use a link like the rest of us right and so I didn't download the app. I mean, I was a bad patient. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I think, yeah. yes, it was, it was really interesting. So you really have to look at how, how you have to prepare. Do you have to download anything? What does the technology require? I mean, we have to think a little differently now. And what are my questions? So here we're sitting in front of each other and I say, what's going on? And they're like, wait, I forgot. I have to go get my notebook. Just bring your notebook with you. So we're all ready to go, you know, and, and that happened a couple of times as well. Bring your medication with you. Um, yeah, put it, you know, put it in front of you, make a decision, you know, that sort of thing. Have all your stuff. Can someone yeah. do a, um, you think it, an annual exam? So once the, once the um, labs are open and stuff like that, if I had a, an annual physical, because usually they don't really touch you so much. Maybe they do, they'll palpate a little bit. But if I went got my blood tests. Can I just have an annual physical, you think, with my regular internist over the phone? I mean, my OBGYN wouldn't work so well. I think that you, I'm sorry, do you hear <laughs> I love humanity. How's your dog? <laughs> my dog's been scratching at the door, just so you know. <laughs> My, my dog, when I say we're going to work, she, she usually gets very serious. Right. I, I don't know. <laughs> sorry. 
You know, I think it really depends on the doctor, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. And like I said earlier, for me, I want to see my patients. I learn so much from how they walk, how they're breathing, what they look like, but I'm dealing with the heart. Right. For an annual physical, a lot of times it's the checklist. You know, they go through asking you tons of questions. Right. And don't even look at you half the time because they're too busy looking at the screen. That's so disappointing for me to hear. But I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would like to think that you would have to physically go. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times your um, primary care person is, is a lot of the captain of your ship mm -hmm. and will give you recommendations for specialists or something like that. Not all the time. Sometimes these doctors actually take care of you holistically, mm -hmm. which we hope for. And if that's the case, then I would recommend you go in. Yeah. Okay. Um, second opinions and things like that. I mean, I really, there's second opinions would be great to do for, for this. Oh, I think so. so right. By the way, I wasn't calling it telemedicine at the time, right. but I have patients from all over the country who have sent me their medical records and I have reviewed them and spoken to them and gone over those cases. Those are second opinion cases yeah. and it's great by telemedicine. Yeah, so it's really kind of, again, brought the universe together. Has this put you as a doctor in touch with other practitioners across the country in some ways? You know, again, has your world of resource opened? You know, I think the most interesting thing is that there were a lot of doctors who started communicating on social media. Hmm. And that never, ever, ever happened before. In the beginning of this, there were doctors from Italy who were talking to doctors in New York. We're one week behind you. This is what we're experiencing. And there was this unbelievable international collaboration about the coronavirus. And if I can say that it was just overwhelming to see doctors across the world start communicating even about their feelings, right? which was- Doctors don't talk huge. about that, right. Doctors do not talk about their feelings. They are too tough to have feelings. And all of a sudden there was this vulnerability between right. healthcare professionals that I found that to be one of the most interesting things that happened. Hmm. Telemedicine didn't connect me um, because we're sort of in our own silos right. of seeing our own patients. So I didn't have it through telemed, but I did have it through social media. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Are there any hidden downsides that people need to know about this? Again, in my world, and I've said this to my patients all the time, if you have chest pain, shortness of breath, you feel really sick, do not call me and ask me what to do. Right. Call me in from the ambulance yeah. or on the way to the hospital. Yeah. And I feel that same way about telemed. You know, this is not a substitute for the real thing, especially in an emergency. Right. Okay. Very good point. Yeah. Anything else we want to share or should I let you get on with your busy practice? <laughs> you know, I think that the one thing that happened for a lot of people is they stopped or forgot to take care of themselves during this time mm -hmm. that we all got so myopic about the virus yes that i really want everyone to realize all the food that you ate all the things you baked you stressed 
you were stress eating, all of that, it has to stop because <laughs> we do, we are still in our bodies mm -hmm. and we still have to eat right and exercise and meditate and stress management and all those things that we talked about before this, we got to get back to it. And we have to now, I think, really become empowered and understand before you were looking at your doctor to take care of you, maybe. Now I want you to start looking at yourself to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And if there isn't one thing that, one thing that did come out of this is that we really own our own bodies and we are really the only ones that are in control of taking care of our health and our wellness. And that's the one thing I want us all to remember. It's true. And you and I were talking before we, we started recording about just that, you know, we're waiting for vaccines and we're waiting for drugs to fix this, but viruses are tough. And this yeah. is one place that people really need to see the, if you masks and social distancing and washing your hands and all that stuff, but the stronger you can make yourself, the healthier with sleep, with stress management, with good diet, with, you know, proper supplements and stuff like that, that they're talking about zinc and vitamin D deficiencies and things that that's going to in, increase your chance of protection as much Absolutely. as anything. Yeah. The most interesting thing was people who are hypertensive, obese, high cholesterol, and diabetes mm -hmm. have the worst outcomes. And that's my world. Yeah. So everyone, eat right, exercise, <laughs> diet, take, take care of yourself, because this thing is not going away for a while, and it's we want to be right. safe. Right. Well, and, it's, and if it's not this one, there's going to be another germ something that's going to come up but the best thing you can do as you just said right get get the diabetes under control the obesity under control all of that absolutely you're awesome thank you let me just remind everybody so suzanne is just kind of the latest in our series of videos that we've been doing we're, de we're developing a lovely library of them on youtube actually a bottom line inc youtube channel um keep following us on facebook share these like crazy and actually, Bottom Line's editors put together a free book of immune strengtheners, things that you can do that you may or may not be hearing from other places. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash immune boost. You can get that for free. You can share it with everybody. Please take it. It's free. It's downloadable. So Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, you're awesome. SRSheart.com is your website. And best of luck with you and stay safe. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye. I'm talking to Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, leading cardiologist, speaker, and author about the very exciting new practice of telemedicine. Specifically, we're talking about the many benefits, the potential downsides, and what you need to know to use this type of service successfully. Suzanne has been providing Bottom Line's readers with her wisdom about staying heart healthy in all aspects of your life for years. Her insights appear regularly in our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, which is filled with information from America's leading experts on not just heart health and emotional health, but on all aspects of your life, including living a disease-free life, safe travel, insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-check device. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast that's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.